You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are here with Blackstone Fell by Martin Edwards, chapters 12 to 23. I am the one in the hot seat, and as we return to mm-hmm. the foggy, marshy fields of Yorkshire. I, look, I love that you're drawing attention to the landscape because obviously Martin Edwards does paint a very vivid, distinct picture of the bog mm. and the horribleness. But can I just say, the reputation of this place is tarnished forever from all these sinking murders. I feel like maybe <laughs> the people that live in this town are just as bad as the landscape. I mean, it might be a thing. I, I would say so to some extent, but mm. I reckon that our our cast of responsible actors is, <laughs> is, is small enough that they could get rid of them by the end of this book. That's the hope. I mean, ideally, by the end of the book, we've kicked out everyone who used to live in this town, and it's <laughs> only Rachel and her conspirators. Oh, yes. Because that's what they are, existing in the town by the end. I, I assume, I assume, you know, having having read the end of the novel, I assume that's how this novel is going to end. You know? I, I, I have many assumptions about how this novel is going to end, but we should maybe it's talk about great. those towards the end of the show. Uh, For now, though, I suppose we should re- recap on what's happened, because obviously at the end of last week's discussion- uh, Nell Fagan had died. I, I wasn't know. entirely convinced that she was dead, dead, but it's quite apparent now that she She's is dead, dead. I know. Well, can I tell you, when I read this novel, you know, I go to the end of that chapter, and it's like Nell Fagan, like, gets a hand around her mouth or something. Mm, we we can't keep up like this or something along those we lines. We can't keep going along like this or whatever it is. And she's dead in that moment, but it's not it's not clear we don't actually see the body until the rector of all characters yes. stumbles across her. He's great because he's like probably not the ultimate killer, but clearly a villain. And for him to come across the body is like kind of gross. Well, it's not him that comes across it. It's his like- It's his dog. It's his, yeah. his, his grumbly dog yep. who like- Who is better no than No one seems child. to dislike the dog, but everyone seems to like brush off their hate of the rector onto the dog as the well. poor dog. I feel bad for the dog because yeah, the, the characterization of the dog- is that it does whatever the rector wants, but also that he loves it more than he would his own child because it like does what he wants and doesn't inherit the weakness of his wife, which is a whole thing. <laughs> I I don't know how much we want to talk about the rector and his wife at this exact moment, but like I kind of love hate. I mean, my him. my favorite <laughs> like, scene uh, with awful. the rector is when. Quintus is sitting down with Rachel Savanak, a detective, for the first time, mm-hmm. and Judith wanders in with, like, a tray of tea. Judith is, like, really surprised to see a young woman enjoying her husband's company. Judith's like, man, she might as well be lapping up a broadcast by Father Knox right now, yeah. which I thought was cute. Thank you, Mark. There's there's a reference <laughs> to Father Knox. There's also a reference to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, where we talk about mm-hmm. spirits maybe existing, which sounds like your theory from last week is still on the table, which is oh, exciting. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, Truman's out here talking about vampires and the Nosferatu yeah, in the dude. town. Yeah, there's uh, the, apparently the, um, the like, what, what is he a psychiatrist his his son and and himself they look a bit like a couple of Nosferatu vampires yeah because they've been like holed up in the sanatorium for all these years and now that we're starting to see like a bit more of them around the town as these murders are happening mm-hmm. they're like yeah they are presented in this very like pallid secluded way well it's very thematically appropriate you know there's I, I can't remember the exact poem it's about if you set a, a foot on each side of of the fell, 
you're, you're in two parts of town. There's there's a there's a clever rhyme in there, but basically saying that whether you're living in the foot part of the town, which is where the poor people mm. or the less important people live, and the and the like fell part of the town, which is where all the rich people live, they're like almost two completely separate communities. Um, and of course, this is again like embodied by the rector. The other thing that's fun in this stretch of chapters is, of course, that the rest of Rachel's gang of buffoons are off doing their work. Like Jacob it, in last week's discussion had had the entire debacle with Artilly Curl. Oh my goodness, Tilly's fantastic, yeah. His like sting operation on her had clearly <laughs> gone wrong and he'd been counterstung. Yeah. But now we're getting in the position where he's figured out what she's doing and they're about to counter counter sting her mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of left on a bit of a cliffhanger at the moment where we're up to but i think it's quite clear where that's going yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic i mean come on we're talking to the major about wanting to commute with his with his dead wife like yes. clearly these plot lines are going to converge i know what, it's fantastic what i love about this plot line about the tilly plot line like obviously it's to explore the supernatural side of detectiving and and showing how a person how tilly can change so much and how you if you you know trace back the history of a person to the the inception of an idea you can kind of you can comprehend them i mean i think that's one of the things that like Martin Edwards has done best in this series and like especially this book is that there's so much about this novel that is like the things that would frustrate you about any other book but Martin Edwards has executed them so well Mm. that you're completely on board like the detective having this just bizarre fascination can often be like a little one note sometimes (laughs) when you have like so many different murders with so many different motivations behind them it can start to be a little overwhelming Mm. in what a lot of golden age stuff would have been very dense feels so well suited to the like presentation that he's put forward here yeah there's also the like power level for lack of a better term of the detective uh-huh. i spoke about this last week how we we kind of begin the novel with with nell to show how dangerous blackstone fell is we start off establishing that the threat is so high that we need someone who is an absurd level of intelligence and and yes and and has this like team and network built in and that's and that's how Martin Edwards like he justifies Rachel being as competent as she is, and she has her servants running around like doing research in the libraries. That's what Martha does, mm. and uh, you know Clifford Truman like oh my goodness taking on his acting ability, and then Hetty who I I don't yeah, know yeah. what Hetty does. We, we need to talk about Truman but, um, next. <laughs> but you know they're all important. The, the, the thing that I did want to say just to like wrap up this particular point is that I think the thing that works so well for Rachel in this instance as like her fascination with death is almost the feeling that, like, her vice is the thrill of putting herself at risk. Yes. And that juxtaposes really well with Nell, who puts herself at risk because she hungers for the latest scoop. Yeah. Whereas Rachel is kind of there for almost being hunted. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> in a for way. sure. She, she enjoys, she fully understands the risk and she enjoys the fact that that risk is there. Yeah. Whereas Nell probably didn't fully comprehend the danger she was in you know i mean there's also the suggestion with peggy being kind of unveiled at the end of this stretch of chapters that nell's actually there for far more personal reasons than we were initially led to believe Mm, yeah perhaps but anyway 
I wanted to talk about uh, Truman, Cliff Truman, because, oh, my goodness, <laughs> he is having so much fun. It is unfair for the, every other character in the he book. He has. So you know how I said, you know, the detective feels like they're they're overpowered, but it, like, works. It makes sense. Yeah. Clifford Truman is so, is so far off that scale. He is more powerful than he should be as a thug character, because that's what he is. Well, well, right. here's the thing: is like, he's so powerful, but he also completely screws up what he's there to do, because <laughs> yeah. Rachel sends him in there to try and basically get an imaginary person assassinated. Sure, and he gets all the way to consigning his imaginary relative to the sanatorium, and then gets turned away by Denzel and Daphne. It's clear that he's like missing a piece of the puzzle. Oh yeah, and yeah. everyone is. If anything, Rachel screwed. Up, let's be real. <laughs> Truman sure. is blameless. Uh, but oh my goodness, <laughs> him going through this story of like inventing the car mechanic, and like this story just goes so deep, and he's like having nights out drinking while telling this story and not breaking character. Yeah, and it's just. It's great. Yeah. Like, none of it is true. It's all nonsense, but you're having so much fun, like, along with him for the ride, making it up. He really does run the gambit of, like, all the different types of, of servants that you would need other than Fainting Damsel, which he have, unfortunately cannot play. I bet he could. Maybe in the I next, bet he maybe, could. Maybe in the next novel. That's my challenge <laughs> to you, Martin Edwards. But yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I love that this novel- Basically, is about one-upping Nell Fagan in every single it's aspect. So it's silly. so fun. Yeah, right? I, I, I think I want to wrap this part of the discussion here. <laughs> I have one little bit of story that I want to talk about at the start of next section to kind of conclude our story thoughts before the mystery. But we'll tease. Let's uh, let's move on here. You're listening to Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour. We are discussing Martin Edwards' Blackstone Fell up to chapter twenty-three. Stick with us. You're on two SER one hundred seven point three. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with you for your murder mystery world tour. We are talking Martin Edwards' Blackstone Fell. And you will have heard a couple of weeks we had Martin on to talk about Trent's last case. That conversation continued into Blackstone Fell, which is where we pick up today, talking about journalist Nell Fagan. You mentioned that Bentley was a journalist, and one thing that you uh, you say in The Golden Age of Murder is how he came up with the story for Trent's last case, walking uh, to his office on Fleet Street. Which I suppose is a good moment to switch over to your own latest mystery, Blackstone Fell, <laughs> wherein journalist Nell Fagan is on a crusade to uncover the many overlapping conundrums at the titular town. What led you to Nell Fagan as the foothold for Blackstone Fell? Well, I've, I've been interested in the idea of female crime reporters working in the 1930s. And in the golden age of murder, I talk about a real life example called Phyllis Davis who was uh, a well-known character, wrote for the Daily Mail in particular in the 1930s. And she was, uh, she, she was a, a, a well-known, rather interesting character. And I thought it would be interesting to write a book around uh, an individual like that. And so that's really where Nell came from. Now, Nell, uh, uh, it has to be said, experiences uh, uh, setbacks in, in, in the book really right from the start. And she doesn't, spoiler alert, she doesn't make it to the end of the story. So, so there's no question of her becoming a continuing character as the story unfolded in my mind. But I, I did really enjoy writing about now. And I've been very interested that a number of readers, one or two reviewers, have said they were 
very sorry that, that she didn't make it to the end of the book. And uh, that makes me think, well, maybe maybe there's scope for another uh, a character, different from Nell, but uh, in that vein and some future story. We, um, we criticise a lot of detectives on this show, but for being, uh, let's say, overbearing, overqualified, critical, and frankly, far too efficient at their jobs. Um, Rachel Savonake seems to fit the, the bill broadly, but the scale of the stakes and the, the violence in the novel fully justifies everything that she does and everything that she is um, in the course of events. How does the death of Nell Fagan constitute the final straw for Rachel to bring her full strength to bear? Well, a uh, very interesting question, actually. Rachel, um, I, I think for some readers, is, is a difficult character uh, to, to get used to and, and, and to uh, warm to as a protagonist. And I've, I've always had in mind that over the course of time and over a number of books, we'd see bit by bit, uh, more of Rachel, Rachel's true character. She, she guards her privacy uh, zealously for reasons that uh, are indicated in Gallows Court, the first book. And she, she has this strong belief in justice, but, but rather like Sherlock Holmes and Hercule Poirot uh, and, and others uh, in, in that vein. She has her own idea of justice. It doesn't necessarily conform with, with the uh, conventional uh, law and order concept. And so that is uh, a real driving force that, that gives her strength and gives her uh, drive. She's a very determined character and, and she, she is highly motivated to taking her investigation right to the limit uh, almost whatever the cost, and, and that that I, 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 I do think is isn't always an easy uh, sell for a writer to to offer to readers, but but it appeals to me in the in, in the context of this character because because she fascinates me, which is the, the the first requirement, and and I hope that my fascination spills over and and uh, and the readers will embrace it. Well, yeah, I mean, in many ways, Nell Fagan and Rachel Savonake are kind of opposite sides of the same coin as well. One thing that really stood out to me is the way that so often Rachel is described as physically beautiful because her internal self is so inscrutable to people, whereas so often uh, you very distinctly shy away from physical so much as environmental descriptors of Nell. Is that kind of framing device something that was like, really apparent to you in writing or was that something that you kind of realized had come more naturally out of the process? I, I think, I, I think in that case, it, it, it really evolved as, as the book develops because typically I will start with an idea of a character and, and it, it will often, even with the minor characters, it will be quite a, quite a, a, a detailed uh, idea. It won't just be simple two dimensional thing, but, as you write, as you explore those characters, as you think about them more, as you soak yourself in their lives, you, you get a better sense of them, just as we do in, in life when we meet somebody for the first time. We, we might like them or dislike them, but as we get to know them better, we see different sides of their personality. The same is true, I think, with writing a character. The more you write, the more you explore, the more you see them in action. And the action is, is important, I think. How do they respond to particular situations? The more you understand them better. 
and and that understanding isn't necessarily there when when you first uh, uh, start tapping on the keyboard. It, it's something that that grows as as you go along. Even if you've thought about that character before you did start writing, it, it, it is an evolutionary process, almost always, I, I would say. This sort of discovery of the situation evolving is something that is like really key to Blackstone Fell as we arrive in the town and we discover, ah, Nell's there to investigate this murder, which may also be involved with another murder, which is another murder and another murder, and then Nell's dead. And it goes for like four, five, six, maybe more murders. Our locked room is a history lesson. Our detective changes partway through the story. We grapple directly with mysticism. SS Van Dyne would be deservedly suffering conniptions. Do you write these subversions as like a response of sorts to the tropes of the genre, or is that just where you find your stories leading you after all you've done in the genre so far? It, 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 it yes, you, you're right. It, it is in some respects a response. I'm taking some of these tropes, which, which I'm I'm very very fond of and attracted to, by the way, and and trying where possible to do something a bit different with them. So in in Blackstone Fell. There's a whole host of classic melodramatic uh, uh, elements. So you've got the the deadly waters, you've got the deadly uh, uh, marsh, you've you've got the sanatorium, you've you've got the mysterious tower, uh, or uh, the the strange pub, or all these pretty melodramatic elements. But at the same time, uh, with that, trying to create cr- characters, as I mentioned, who who grow and develop, and you you can start to believe it and and to use those tropes in a way that casts light firstly on the characters but also on the society that they were living in and possibly under the surface presenting a picture of a society in a way that had I been writing in the 1930s wouldn't have been possible trying in that way to appeal not only to the nostalgia element, the people who love the Golden Age stories as I do, but also people who like the uh, good story that tells you something about character and uh, place and and and, uh, and the world we live in. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are talking to President of the Detection Club, Martin Edwards, who is also the author of our current feature novel, Blackstone Fell. We have one more chat all about the spoilers next week with Martin to bring you, so make sure you are tuned in for that. And if you get subscribed up on the podcast on your platform of choice, we'll also have our full discussion through Trent's and Blackstone Fell available in just a few days after next episode. We're going to jump back into my solution of Blackstone Fell. Stick with us. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour on 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds, here for your murder mystery world tour. And we are here discussing Martin Edwards' Blackstone Fell, the third novel in the Rachel Savinak series. And I am in the hot seat. Herds, I, I did want to talk about one what? prediction that I have that isn't really to do with the mystery, but I was so- What does that mean? Elated when I figured it out. What are you on about? What's this crazy this thing? This entire time, I need to let you know, Herds has been- saying to me how much he enjoys the denouement like breakdown (laughs) scene of this novel and just a couple of days ago as i was going over my final notes it finally clicked with me Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. 
And it's because they're blackmailing Attili Curl into <laughs> doing a seance for the breakdown scene. And I'm so ready for this. I, I need to let you know that that may or may not, I can either confirm or deny that that is the reason why I love the ending. But there is definitely more to the ending that I'm even more excited for you to, to stumble into. Oh, this is great. Like, I cannot explain how much I love the, like, suspect breakdown scene of this novel it may be the best one i've read ever certainly certainly this year yeah so i'm i'm really looking forward to that but anyway herds i have a mystery to solve or do do i have two mysteries to solve or do i have uh, three mysteries to solve i can't tell you how many different murderers are there in this damn well this is the thing because rachel has said i want to say three times in the novel when someone else says Wait, just just you wait until we catch the murderer. She says all murderers, mm-hmm. <laughs> like as though she expects there to be more than one. So flex for your for your points this week. I need you to elucidate uh-huh. uh, if if there are in fact more than one murderers, who they are, why they kill, the usual the usual stuff. Yeah, and I want to let you know I'm putting a point on uh, specifically on the death of the person who was found in the the leap. All right. So <laughs> I, I think where I want to start with this is, of course, that there are more than one murder. I want to say that there are at least three. Okay. Plus the murder in 1600 mm-hmm. and 15 years before the novel. Okay. Which are the same person. So there are four murderers total here, which I, I know is a lot. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm so excited to see who you pick. So do you want to start in chronological order? Do you want to Let's start, start in chronological order because I think this is definitely going to take the longest to explain. Mm-hmm. So the entire novel along, I'd been wondering about this blob of text at the start of the novel, <laughs> which I will uh, proceed to read out. Yeah, good luck. Verbatim for you quickly. I'm not going to know if you get it wrong. I'm just going to let you all know. Right, all right. So it is in fives. A, A, B, A, 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 B, B, A, A, B, A, 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 B, A, B, A, 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 B, 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 B. And that says mm-hmm. E-M-R-I-P. What? What are you talking about? I could neither confirm nor deny. What, how, how did you get that? What did you, how did you get those letters? For a murder mystery novel that we read quite some time ago, <laughs> I installed a plugin to my web browser that allows me to select text and convert them into ciphers in place on a web page. Mm-hmm. So I was going down my browser plugin and after going through various rotational ciphers and decimal ciphers and other sorts of nonsense, I finally selected Baconian. <laughs> And it went from that strings of A's and B's to E-M-R-I-P. And the first person that died was Edmund E. Mellor M. (laughs) Which means that whoever built the Blackstone Lodge inscribed into the lodge the name of the person who was going to die there (laughs) before they died. Which means it is the one hidden passage Sir Father Ronald Knox allows us, and that hidden passage is a death trap. Oh my goodness, that's a that's a hefty one. Who the heck is going to want to build a, a hidden passage inside a lodge that is a death trap? Why, why is that even a thing? I didn't touch the internet, so I gathered around the brain's trust at 2SER, <laughs> and I said to them, all right, tell me what in common... The year 1606, Francis Bacon and the play Macbeth have. <laughs> and all that kind of boiled down to uh, we think that it has to do with the rise to power of King James, 
who came down from Scotland. <laughs> because I was not allowing myself to Google this and I didn't have time to make it to my local library before we sat down to record this episode, mm -hmm. the best I can do for you is to say that the two factions in the uprisings yeah. around the time of King James probably had a lot of spies with a lot of spy hideouts and a lot of double agents. So you're saying that this is a, it's a spy hideout basically that is actually designed to kill spies. It's a spy catcher, basically. And I think that Alfred Lejeune probably found the death trap and also died to it. So that's murderer number one. Well, as as Rachel points out, this this was only window dressing. The strange disappearances were to whet Rachel's appetite. Yes. I'm much more interested in the sanatorium. So. Now that factors into all these other deaths. The second murder that we have, murderer that we have mm -hmm. is Ormond Weaver, who is not dead. Mm. It, it is said early in the novel that he died in Austria, Italy. I forget exactly where, but I, I want to say that Harold, Harold Lejeune is actually Ormond Weaver mm -hmm. because they have this entire thing where Harold went there investigating plants or whatnot. I think he died there and Ormond Weaver, disgraced financier on the run, uh, swapped their ID so that he could take over his life in a quiet Yorkshire town. Cool. And I think that Nell Fagan was killed by him. Oh my God. Because he recognized her from her investigation into Nathan Hart's death. So he's the, the gloved hand, Harold, who is actually- Yep. Weaver. So he's he's okay. killed Nathan Hart, the actual Harold Lejeune, maybe, mm. and Nell. And Nell. Okay. So that's murderer number that. two. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Okay, this is good so far. We're halfway through. Murderer number three <laughs> is Dr. Caritas. Okay. I don't think this one takes too much explanation. The man has gambling debts. Mm. There's also this entire ordeal where ever since Caritas has showed up, these other families with like money problems, probably also from gambling, like Caritas has, have had like people come into their lives like Baker did for Ursula and Vernon Murray. What's the connection between these? Because yeah, I, I see what you're saying. There are these characters, Clodagh and and Violet and Joshua, who are, who've all been killed. They're all like patients at the sanatorium who may have been murdered. You reckon it was by Doctor Caritas? By Doctor Caritas for settling his own gambling debts. I, I guess my question is like, how do these wives and husbands know to contact Caritas? Like Tr Truman goes to the sanatorium, which is where all these yeah. people have died. And he's like, hey, can I get my, my, my dad whacked? And they're like- Oh, is it because he like didn't go to Caritas? Is that the reason? I, I think like I think it is. I think that Caritas's like network, as I said, they all seem to have some money trouble, and I I would guess that disgraced financier in small Yorkshire town is probably a prime candidate for the uh, fixer for this particular thing because it is, I believe, when Harold slash Weaver joins the conversation with Truman at the bar that they start talking about taking. Truman's cover story father-in-law to the sanitarium. I mean, that that does like make some some sense, I guess. We've seen that Caritas doesn't seem to know what he's doing when it comes to being a doctor. Maybe he's not like yeah. the brightest, 
spanner on the shelf, so to speak. Yeah, they they mentioned that he they mentioned that he like wants to move back to London, but you know, mm. if he wants to move back to London and there's not that much work at the sanatorium anyway, like <laughs> there's nothing preventing him from moving back. So clearly he's got like a better deal in some sense. And I think that it's Weaver kind of holding debts over his head. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and finally, murderer number four. I'm excited. Who's your fourth murderer, Flex? It's Peggy. What? Who could Peggy kill? She's an old lady. Peggy killed uh, Harold Lejeune, who is mm. dead at the end of chapter 23, in revenge for Nell's death and Nathan Hart's death. And I have no further insights on the matter. I just think that nobody <laughs> else makes sense. Yeah, I mean- Like, Caridus, Caridus may have tried to get back at the man holding debts over his head, but if he was going to do that anyway- why did he wait until he was this far in the hole to do it? I think I think I'm pretty pretty satisfied with how you've answered things. You've got a, you've got a role for every character. I will definitely have to think on uh, how many points you're getting next yeah. week. I'm, I'm I, I will say I'm pretty confident with this novel, but I did say that you should detract points if I didn't explain something that wasn't in the clue finder. Mm. And I don't know what's in the clue finder. So you could be able to strip all of my points from me. <laughs> I do wish you the best of luck. Thank this you. is a more or less fair game after all. And I think that very excited extracting four separate murderers again is like pretty, a pretty difficult task, especially trying to lay out the timeline. I, insanely. I'm, I'm amazed that Martin Edwards has done it and not pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to figure out the minutiae. But I do think that uh, Martin Edwards has done an excellent job of making every killer in this novel compelling in different ways. And when we get to the uh, the breakdown scenes, I think I think you'll really enjoy them. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I suppose we should wrap up there. Herds, thank you for guiding me through Blackstone Fell thus far. It's been fun. It's been fun being a tour guide. I definitely have enjoyed letting you kind of ramble in the second half of the show. Oh, yeah. It's been thoroughly entertaining. And I've put in a lot of work on this novel. Like, dude, I'm so ready. I'm so ready to get to next week. We'll see how petty I'm feeling. Uh... <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. All right. Yeah. Well, this is Death of the Reader, your Murder Mystery World Tour. Next week on the show, all the way to the end of Martin Edwards' Blackstone Fell, the third novel in the Rachel Savinac series. We'll see you then. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour here on 2SER 107.3.